reading from the book of Galatians. I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that the gospel I preach is not of human origin. I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it. Rather, I received it by revelation from Jesus Christ. For you have heard of my previous way of life in Judaism, how intensely I persecuted the church of God and tried to destroy it. I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my people and was extremely zealous for the traditions of my fathers. But when God, who set me apart from my mother's womb and called me by his grace, was pleased to reveal his son in me so that I might preach him among the Gentiles. My immediate response was not to consult any human being. I did not go up to Jerusalem to see those who were apostles before I was, but I went into Arabia. Later, I returned to Damascus. Then, after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to get acquainted with Cephas and stayed with him 15 days. I saw none of the apostles, only James, the Lord's brother. I assure you before God that what I am writing you is no lie. Then I went to Syria and Cilicia. I was personally unknown to the churches of Judea that are in Christ. They only heard the report. The man who formerly persecuted us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy. And they praised God because of me. The word of the Lord. Those who are visiting, my name is Paul. I'm the senior pastor here. It's a joy to have you worship with us uh, on this beautiful Charleston morning. Before we dive into um, our message today, would you bow your heads with me as I begin this time with a brief word of prayer? Uh, dear Heavenly Father, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, our rock and our redeemer. And in the oldest prayer of the church, we pray, come, Holy Spirit, come. In Jesus' name, amen. The title of our message today is Share Your Story. And I'd like to begin by asking you this question. Have you ever been utterly shocked by the grace of Jesus? This story comes from our own Kathy Amendolia. Kathy, give us a wave. And she's pictured here on the screen behind me in the middle. And it's a story she shared with us, our staff, this last week. Quote, I'm from the baby boomer generation and grew up just outside of Washington, D.C. In 1951, I started kindergarten where I met Anne. 
I vividly remember sitting on the curb sharing penny candy with Anne as a child instead of walking straight home from school like I was supposed to do. And in those days, Paul, mind you, kids weren't walked to or from school or driven to or from school by their parents. Anyway, Anne lived a few blocks from me, and we were friends during both grade school and high school. We hung out with the same crowd throughout our teen years. Shortly after we graduated high school in 1964, Anne was on a date with a young man from our circle of friends, and they were in a terrible car wreck. She spent an entire year in the hospital recuperating. In addition to her many injuries and broken bones, Anne had numerous rods placed in both her arms and legs. She became addicted to pain meds from her hospital stay. Sadly, her uh, friends drifted away, most to college, some to jobs, and Anne felt completely deserted. After her release from the hospital and craving the pain meds to which she no longer had access, Anne began drinking scotch whiskey. She soon became an alcoholic. When Anne was finally physically able, probably around 1966, Kathy went on, she moved to California where she fell in love, excuse me, fell in, fell in with the Hells Angels, motorcycle gang, a very rough crowd. She ran with them for a time and then moved to Oahu, Hawaii. In late 1967, I planned a trip to Hawaii to meet Jim for his five-day R&R from the Marine Corps as he was deployed in Vietnam at the time. And I must have bumped into Ann's mom who told me Ann herself was living on Hawaii. So I made plans to visit Ann before Jim's plane arrived. It was a short and sweet visit. The next time I saw Ann, Kathy writes, was about nine years later. I was living in North Carolina with Jim and our three kids. As a fairly new Christian, two years young in the Lord, I had the opportunity to fly to D.C. to attend a prayer meeting, a prayer breakfast. And someone at the breakfast who also knew Ann mentioned to me that she regularly attended those breakfasts, and she was living with her parents in the same home where she'd grown up in Virginia. Thus... As soon as breakfast ended, I, meaning Kathy, drove to Anne's house. That day, her sweet mom greeted me warmly and called Anne upstairs for her to come downstairs. When we greeted each other after all of those years apart, I said, Anne, I've heard you've been saved. To which beaming, she replied, yes, Kathy, it's wonderful. I then shared, Anne, me too. And it's at that point, that moment that Anne, my old friend, stopped dead in her tracks, put her hand on my shoulder, looked me right in the eyes and said incredulously, God saved you? (laughs) Kathy, God God saved you? (laughs) Yeah, me too, Kathy shared. And the two reportedly hugged and laughed and danced around the room in joy together. Kathy recalls, quote, it was pure joy to know God had chosen us. I was so happy for her and she for me after all the pain, the trials and rejection of our earlier years. Anne and I had at last found the absolute joy and freedom of knowing Jesus. And this is the greatest miracle of all. End of our story. I love that, right? Kathy, God saved you. You you have a lot to share with us, Kathy. 
this coming from a former member of the Hells Angels. So, friends, again, let me ask you, have you ever been utterly shocked by the grace of Jesus? Maybe in your own life or maybe in the life of another? As we continue in the book of Galatians this morning, we're going to hear about the testimony of a man, this Apostle Paul, who was totally shocked by the grace of Jesus. How did Paul respond? And the question is, how will we respond when we encounter Christ's grace. Well, let's check this out. This morning, the big idea we'll see and explore from Galatians chapter 1 is this. The grace of Jesus not only saves, it sends, meaning we must learn to share our story. The grace of Jesus not only saves, it sends, meaning we must learn to share our story. We're going to unpack this truth by slicing it thin through three Points. Point one, the grace of Jesus saves. Point two, the grace of Jesus sends. And point three, learn to share your story. Well, let's dive into God's word together. Point one, the grace of Jesus saves. Beginning with verse 11, we read, I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that the gospel I preached is not of human origin. I didn't receive it from any man, nor was I taught it. Rather, I received it. By special revelation or revelation from Jesus Christ. For you've heard of my previous way of life in Judaism. How intensely I persecuted the church of God and tried to destroy it. I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among many people. And was extremely zealous for the traditions of my fathers. But when God, who set me apart from my mother's womb and called me by his grace, was pleased to reveal his son to me, so that I might preach him among the Gentiles, my immediate response was not to consult any human being. We'll stop there. First, friends, know this. Here it is. Both the religious and the irreligious need the grace of Jesus. Both the religious and the irreligious need the grace of Jesus. What do I mean? Well, as we begin our passage, Paul makes clear that no right thinking And no right living qualifies for a right relationship with God. No right thinking and no right living qualifies for this relationship with God. Quote, the gospel I preach is not of human origin. I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it. Rather, I received it by revelation from Jesus Christ. In other words, friends, we cannot think our way into faith. We cannot study our way into faith. We cannot reflect our way in the faith. We cannot converse our way into faith. No, anyone who wants to come to faith in Jesus, Paul tells us we must experience a revelation. A revelation whereby we see our need for rescue and allow Jesus to save us. The late Tim Keller, reflecting on this very point, summed it up this way. The average person on the street believes that a Christian is someone who follows Christ's teaching and example. But Paul implies that is impossible. After all, you don't rescue people unless they're in a lost state and a helpless condition. Imagine you see a drowning woman. It doesn't help her at all if you throw her a manual on how to swim. You don't throw her some teaching. You throw her a rope. And Jesus is not just so much a teacher as he is a rescuer because that's what we need most. 
Nothing in who we are or what we do saves us. Thus, friends, we all need grace. We all need God's grace, his unmerited kindness, love, favor, and forgiveness. We unpacked this last week. If you want to know more about grace and what it entirely means in the context of Galatians 1, you can listen to last week's sermon. But here Paul further highlights this reality, this need, as he goes on to share just how sincere or religious he had been prior to his conversion. I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my people and was extremely zealous for the traditions of my fathers, he writes, verse 14. Later to the Philippians, in fact, Paul would flex his former religious chops with these words. If someone else thinks they have reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews. In regard to the law, a Pharisee, as for zeal, persecuting the church, as for righteousness, based on the law, faultless. In other words, in the eyes of the religious community of his day, Paul had been a superhero. He'd been a pious stud. But guess what, church? It was not enough. It's not enough. You see, being zealous, being religious, and being sincere were not enough for Paul. And to this end, listen, you can be passionate and sincere about something and be passionately and sincerely wrong. You can be passionate and sincere about something and be passionately and sincerely wrong. Listen, it happens in my relationship with Carly all the time. You can just ask her. As she read the sermon, she goes, what are you referencing? I, I said, everything. Grace. This reality, this harsh truth that Paul needed grace it became clear to him when he first met Jesus. But when God, who set me apart from my mother's womb and called me by his grace, we read, everything changed for him. So friends, even if you've grown up in the church all your life, you need grace. The religious, those who have been perfect or near perfect all of our lives, we need grace. And yes, the irreligious, the crooks, the rebels, the Cathys, the addicts, the outcasts, grace. We all need grace. And here's the good news. It's available to each and every one of us today. God's grace is not just for Paul, and it's not just for Kathy. It's for you. It's for you, Koki. It's for you, Brad. It's for you, Susan. Grace. 1 Timothy chapter 1, verses 13 and 14, Paul would later write, Even though I was once a blasphemer and a persecutor and a violent man, I was shown mercy because I acted in ignorance and unbelief. The grace of our Lord was poured on poured out on me abundantly along with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. So point one, the grace of Jesus saves. Point two, the grace of Jesus sends. It sends. But when God, who set me apart from my mother's womb and called me by his grace, was pleased to reveal his son to me so that I might preach him among the Gentiles, my immediate response was not to consult any human being, he writes. I didn't go to Jerusalem to see those apostles before I was, who were apostles before I was. I went to Arabia, later 
to Damascus. Then after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to get acquainted with Cephas, that's Peter, and stayed with him for 15 days. I saw none of the other apostles, only James, the Lord's brother. Friends, a faithful pastor, a trusted friend, a kind mother of a friend, a steadfast spouse, a passionate professor, and a good old hog farmer. How's that list? When I asked my staff this past week who the first person was that came to mind when they look back at their lives and ponder who significantly impacted their faith, their faith journeys, these were the individuals or type of individuals that they listed. Here's the list again. A faithful pastor, a trusted friend, a kind mother of a friend, a steadfast spouse, a passionate professor, and a hog farmer. A hog farmer. For me, it was Lyle Dorset. Lyle Dorset, a passionate professor. Lyle, a former faculty member at the University of Southern Cal and University of Denver, he had been a staunch atheist early in his career and an alcoholic teaching history at these universities. And he told me his secondary job back in those days was to dismantle the faith of young Christians in the university of system. Lyle had been an arrogant, tough, and smart professor. However, one night in the Rocky Mountains, sitting all alone with a case of beer, in existential crisis, in his Volkswagen Beetle, in the woods, he'd encountered Jesus. From that day forward, everything changed for Lyle. He'd go on to become a professor at Wheaton College, my alma mater, in Wheaton's grad school, and later a professor at Beeson Divinity School at Sanford University, teaching on subjects, ironically, such as evangelism, revival, in the history of the Holy Spirit in the world. Not only would he go on to pen 18 books on the Christian faith and become the foremost uh, expert on guys like D.L. Moody, he'd also call on countless, excuse me, call, call out and call forward countless individuals to enter into vocational ministry. And I can confidently say that I would not be here and be a pastor today if it were not for this passionate professor, Dr. Lyle Dorset. I was a young punk. I was a young punk in Chicago. Lyle saw me, cared for me, and called me forward, and my life's never been the same. Meanwhile, listen, in total contrast, and I just love this, in total contrast, Pastor Cody was led to faith and led to faithful, selfless gospel living by a simple hog farmer in Beulahville, North Carolina. His hometown, right? 1,200 people. Has it grown? The first person uh, Cody thought of this week was this hog farmer from Beulahville, North Carolina that helped change his life, change his trajectory. This man's name was? Dennis. Dennis. According to Cody, Dennis came to the church of his youth. I just love this. Beulahville Free Will Baptist Church. And eventually stepped into the gap of leading the youth group. And Dennis shared a simple yet powerful message. I need Jesus. You need Jesus. The world needs Jesus. The question today is, will you give your life to Jesus and surrender in service and follow him every day of your life? And that message, and that man, changed Cody's life. Thank God for the Lyles and the Dennises in our lives. Amen? 
So let me ask you, who has God sent into your life, either in the past or in your present state, to share Jesus? Who's the first person that comes to mind as you look back and you think, maybe God sent that person in my life to share Jesus? Romans 10, we read there verses 14 and 15, how then can they call on the one they've not believed in and how can they believe in the one of whom they have not heard and how can they hear without someone preaching to them and how can anyone preach unless they're sent as it's written how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news the gospel returning to our passage we cannot miss the purpose clause in the heart of our passage i don't know if you caught it but here it is but when god who set me apart from my mother's womb and called me by his grace was pleased to reveal his son in me so that, don't miss it, so that, one fellowship, I might preach him among the Gentiles. My immediate response was not to consult any human being. Galatians 1, verse 15 and 16. So that I might preach him, Paul says. Here's the point. The grace of Jesus not only saves us, it sends us. Grace saves and it sends, meaning we're all called, all who've been Saved by grace in Jesus, we're all called to mission. Yes, you. Yes, me. Stay-at-home moms, working moms, you're called to mission. Kids, students, grad students, you're called to mission. Working dads, single dads, older dads, you're called to mission. Coaches, educators, healthcare professionals, IT professionals, lawyers, salesmen, saleswomen, writers, Authors, artists, whatever you do for a living, you're called to mission. Every single person, regardless of rank, age, and education, is called to mission in Jesus. That's what the Bible tells us. May God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face shine on us, Psalm 67, so that your ways may be known on earth, your salvation among all nations. Mission. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not from yourselves. It's the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Mission. But you are a chosen people, Beckett, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him, who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light, mission. You see, we're not only called to meet people like my Lyle and Cody's Dennis, we're called to be people like my Lyle and Cody's Dennis. The grace of Jesus not only saves, it sends. It sends me and it sends you and it sends us. Point two, the grace of Jesus sends. And this leads us to point three, learn to share your story. Learn, I'm going to bring out an old school word, learn to share your testimony. Learn to have a witness. Then when I went to Syria and Sicilia, I was personally unknown to the churches of Judea that are in Christ. They only heard the report. The man who formerly persecuted us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy. And they praise God because of me. Friends, do you know the most impactful thing you can share about the gospel, listen, is your own story. 
The most impactful thing you can share about the gospel is your own story, your own testimony. That's exactly what we see here in Galatians from Paul. In our passage, Paul ultimately shares his story, his testimony, and as a result, we see here as we end Galatians 1, communities end up praising God because of Paul's intentionality and his vulnerability. That's the language of relationship. That's the language of love. It's that simple and that good. Communities end up praising God because of Paul's intentionality and his vulnerability via his story of his conversion, his faith in Jesus. So how do we share? How do we recover this art of sharing our testimony? May I suggest a threefold approach? Here it is. First, learn to share about your previous life, your previous wayward life. For some of us, like Paul, I bet a lot of people in this room, we're recovering perfectionists or moralists. Might that be you? Might that have been you? Well, share about that. Speak of that. Listen, maybe you achieved everything you ever wanted in life and you still felt empty. That's your testimony. And that's kind of my story. Share about that. Or perhaps you're like Kathy, a former rebel, and you know lostness. You know what it's like to grow up in a very, very broken home with a mom with a mental, Ill, mental, mental illness. And there was loneliness and emptiness and depression. You didn't know what to do with that. Did you share about that? The first element of sharing your story is learning to share about your previous life, your previous wayward life. Second, learn to share about your rescued life, your rescued life. This entails being comfortable speaking about your own personal life-changing encounter with Jesus. Maybe it was at a youth camp. Anyone come to faith at a youth camp? Windy Gap, Young Life, anything like that? Amen? You know, this guy came to faith through my brother being his Young Life leader. Yeah, True his story. brother was my, my first faith. That got me emotional. It's like 50 years ago. <laughs> We're getting old, Wes. So maybe it was at a youth camp. Maybe it was via a friend. Maybe it was in a tough season of life with great disappointment and despair. Or maybe it was through a church like One Fellowship. Learn to speak of how the grace of Jesus first became real to you and how you accepted his forgiveness and love. Do you remember that day, that moment? Maybe it was powerful. Maybe it was subtle. Whatever the case, learn to share about that. The second element of sharing our story is learning to share about our rescued lives. And third, learn to share about our hope-filled lives. Let me ask, friends, how has Jesus changed your life since you've accepted the grace of Jesus? How has your outlook in life changed? Listen, I know for me, I not only, I not only love the love of God, knowing that like, I'm secure in his love, I love to know that God has given me a brilliant, diverse, and dynamic new family called what? Yeah, the church, one fellowship. I love, I love the church, not just all our church, but all churches. I love the church. I love the dynamism of this broader family. You belong. I belong. I delight in that. Moreover, as I face each day, whenever I face hardship or friends face hardship, I take comfort in knowing that Jesus not only came to extend God's love, he came to conquer the grave. This is something else I champion, I, I live into. 
He came to conquer the grave, meaning sickness and death are not the end of our story. Not the end of the world's story, no. Love is. Let's turn to the end of Revelation, where Jesus promises to restore all things. Thus, friends, the last element of sharing our story is we must learn to share about the hope we share in Jesus. So point three, learn to share your story. And on this this last point, here's the deal. Ready? It's scandalous, it's cool, and it, it leans into God's sovereignty. Here it is. All of our stories matter. All of our stories matter. Jessica, your story matters. Brian, your story matters. Chris, your story matters. Kathy, your story matters. Catherine, your story matters. Bill, your story matters. Rachel, your story matters. Debbie, your story matters. Andrew, I could go on and on. They all matter. If you doubt me, read the Bible. Learn to share your story. In closing, let me repeat our big idea today. May it serve, again, as a kindling for your soul. The grace of Jesus not only saves, it sends, meaning we must learn to share our story. Oh, for a thousand tongues to sing, my great Redeemer's praise, the glories of my God and King, the triumphs of His grace. My gracious Master and my God, assist me to proclaim, to spread through all the earth abroad, the honors of Thy name.